Friday morning devotion. Friday morning at 9 is our usual time for getting together and going over God's Word. And uh, when we have gotten together and gone over God's Word, we have found ourselves uh, firmly lodged in 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, and so uh, we are today looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, uh, last time, you know, we talked a lot about uh, the relationship of marriage, uh, sexuality. We, we sort of, Paul is just sort of dealing with a, um, can I say, a cornucopia, a plethora of controversial issues in the church. And, um, and he wants to make sure that he gives them clarity. And so in 1 Corinthians 8, he's going to move on to basically issues that involve freedom. And freedom is actually, as much as we love it here in America and we talk about it almost incessantly, freedom actually is pretty darn complicated. Uh, freedom, if you look at the majority of human history, in fact, whether it be political freedom or religious freedom or whatnot, the reality is human beings often, instead of choosing freedom, feel much more comfortable in a very closed system. Yes, there is rebellions from time to time about that, but uh, it does turn out that there's quite a few people that are uncomfortable with the very idea of being free because freedom means that you're all of a sudden left with all sorts of choices. Uh, well, that is certainly the case when we come across our passage today in 1 Corinthians 8, where you have real debates going on about food, about worship, about style, about Things that not necessarily that aren't necessarily very clearly spelled out in Scripture, there's much debate about. And so I don't want to say anything else. Let's just read the passage. It's pretty short. Uh, and then we'll dig into this concept of how we ought to use our freedom as Christians. It says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Now that's a quote. All of us possess knowledge. Okay. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that, quote, there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and both of those are in quotations, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, whom, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. All right, end of reading. So the big idea here, how do we use our freedom? 
Well, first of all, what's pretty clear in the passage, Christians use their freedom according to a love of knowledge. Now, even though Paul says famously in this passage that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, that's probably a pretty well-known phrase to many of us, the reality is that he does not therefore shun all knowledge or the necessity of it. As a matter of fact, in this passage, uh, some word for knowledge or knowing is mentioned 10 times just in this one chapter in these few verses. It's not that Paul is saying knowledge in it of itself is bad. Actually, what he presupposes in this passage is a couple of kinds of knowledge that we base our freedom upon. First of all, he talks about knowledge of our own conscience, of our own individual conscience. Now, over and over again in Scripture, we are told that we should not sin against our conscience, that it's very dangerous to do so. And essentially what that means is that even if others may be free to do something, if we don't feel good about it ourselves, if our conscience is ringing out to us, telling us that we ought not participate in something, then we ought not participate in that thing. That's the principle. And this is indeed the trickiest thing about Christian freedom because, folks, it's not one size fits all. And oh, how bad we want that for comfort's sake. In, in Corinth, there were some who rightly saw that just because meat was sacrificed to idols, that did not inherently make the meat bad or evil to eat it. As Paul says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Some had freedom in their conscience to eat it, but others were said in verse 7 to have weak consciences. What does that mean? Well, essentially, it meant that their conscience just didn't give them the freedom to eat that meat because it had been sacrificed to an idol. In this passage, in verse 7, and in chapter 10, also Romans 14, we are shown clearly the principle that people really do have different consciences on numerous issues. Now, of course, if the Bible explicitly forbids something, then all of us should not be engaged in that thing. That's abundantly clear. But this is the kind of issue that the Bible doesn't specifically speak about. And there's a lot of those kinds of issues. In fact, the reason for the book of Proverbs in the scriptures is really because we have to navigate gray issues all the time in our life. And so we have to learn to be discerning and to use wisdom and to know our own conscience. So for some of you, your conscience may feel bad if you watch anything other than a G-rated movie. If that's you, then you should only watch G-rated movies. On the other hand, there are some who have no problem watching some R-rated movies, provided it does not cause you to sin against God's word. As we've noted above, you are both free. You are both free to do those things. But of course, that's not the main sort of knowledge we are to base our freedom on. Ultimately, our conscience needs to be informed by knowledge of God's word. In this passage, Paul quotes from God's word to back up what he is saying many times. In verse 4, he says this, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that, quote, there is no God but one. That's a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, down in verse 7, he mentions a problem that some don't possess this knowledge. Now, what, what's the point? Well, the point is, undergirding our decisions about what we should and shouldn't do with our freedom, we should seek to have a firm grasp 
of what the word of God says on an issue. Again, we are free from having to do anything written in the law to be saved. That's already been taken care of by Jesus Christ. Jesus has done that. Nevertheless, as Christians, we are still called to live in response to that grace according to his moral law. It's, it is still there and still does tell us, hey, you know what? It's a good use of freedom not to murder people. It's a good use of freedom not to commit adultery. It's a good use of freedom not to steal other people's stuff. It's a good use of freedom and good for your neighbor if you don't lie, etc., cetera, et cetera. So again, the scriptures say don't do something, then we don't do that. And if we do do that, then we confess that we've done that and plead forgiveness again by the mercy of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. So I'll give you an example from the past of something that was controversial in some circles within Christianity in North America. It might seem strange to hear this, but it was true. Um, at one point, going bowling and hanging out of a bowling alley was seen as being sinful by many within sort of more conservative Christian circles. Therefore, uh, some who were raised in that culture really did feel like they were sinning if they ever went bowling. Now, of course, the reality is, Scripture has no such prohibition against bowling, and therefore a person is truly free to do such a thing. This is an example in which Scripture informs us, and so even if you may have been raised with a certain uh, expectation of how you are to live, if the scriptures end up clarifying for you that no, that's a made-up man-made rule, well, then you're free from that man-made rule as long as your conscience comes into alignment with what the Word of God says. So here's the principle, the, the big idea. To figure out, to use the old you know, rhyme, whether you can smoke, dance, drink, chew, and hang out with those who do, the first question you should ask is, is there anything in Scripture that tells me I should not be doing this thing? If there's not an explicit or implicit condemnation of the activity, if your conscience is free, you're free to do it. That's Christian freedom. Now again, I want to point out to you that because of what Christ has done for you, you don't live like this to stay saved or continue earning God's favor. That's not what this is. No, rather, because you have God's favor already in Christ and already are saved, you get to live like this on behalf of your neighbor. So Christians use their freedom according to a love of knowledge. Secondly, Christians use their freedom according to love for God. Paul makes that abundantly clear here. Uh, the great church father Augustine said it most succinctly, one of my favorite phrases, love God and do whatever you want. I'll say it again, love God and do whatever you want. <laughs> How's that for freedom? Paul says it in a similar way in our passage when he writes, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods, true, in heaven or on earth, indeed, there are many gods and many lords. Paul is talking about all this, you know, all the different religions out there. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, etc. What's his point? Everything we do, everything we do, we get to do with a view towards love for God and neighbor. 
Paul says it this way later on in chapter 10. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean that before you do everything, before you get in your car, before you eat, before you drink, before anything, you, you know, you're constantly sort of uh, singing a praise song. That's not what it means. It means that you're doing things with a clear conscience in praise to God. You're saying you're able to say thank you for whatever it is you're participating in. It's really that simple. You don't feel like you have to hide from God when you do the thing. So that's kind of the idea. Christian freedom is expressed, I think, quite well in this regard by the life and music of Johann Sebastian, uh, Sebastian Bach. Um, recognizing the grace of God that had saved him and completely freed him, he in turn sought out to do nothing else but glorify God through his music, and that he did, composing a new cantata every month. He is, of course, revered today among many as the greatest composer of all time. And what's striking about his pieces of music to me is what his music begins and ends with every single time. At the beginning of each of his pieces are the letters JJ. This stands for Yesu Yava, which meant Jesus, help me. Before the song, it was a plea, Jesus, help me. And at the end of each piece are the letters SDG, standing for Soli Deo Gloria meaning to God alone be the glory for this piece of music. What a perfect way of seeing our lives lived out as freed Christians. The day begins with a plea for Jesus to help us and ends with praise to God for all he's done in and through us. So we get to use our freedom according to knowledge. We get to use our freedom out of love for God. And thirdly, we use our freedom according to love for others. Luther said in his famous book on Christian freedom, which, by the way, this is the 500-year anniversary of that, uh, that little book. He says, a Christian is Lord of all, completely free of everything. What a striking statement. A Christian is Lord of all, completely free of everything. That's the first part of the quote. But he doesn't end there because there's a second part in which Luther says this about his thesis statement. At the same time as a Christian is Lord of all, completely free of everything, a Christian is a servant completely attentive to the needs of all. So let's put it together. At one and the same time, a Christian is Lord of all, completely free of everything. But also a Christian is a servant, completely attentive to the needs of all. Now at first, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this sounds like a contradictory statement. But what does he mean? Well, I think it's clear he means the exact same thing that Paul will go on to tell us in this passage and many others. And that is essentially this. Though in regard to my salvation, I am totally free to do as I please, out of love for my brothers and sisters, I will be willing to abstain from certain things if it causes them to stumble. This is how Paul says it. Food will not commend us to God. Verse 8. We are no worse off if we do not eat no better off if we do. So Paul says, sure, you have the right to eat whatever and wherever you want. So what if it was sacrificed to an idol? An idol is nothing. Yes, enjoy your freedom and eat what you want. I would say the same thing about your freedoms. Sure, if you want to go see that movie, go see that movie. If you want to go dance with your husband or dance with your wife, go dance with your spouse. If you want to enjoy that nice cold beer at the end of the day, enjoy that beer. You are free in Christ and you have been given that right. But, verse 9, 
Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And he ends the passage saying this, and this is so important. If food makes my brother stumble, then I'm never going to eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul's point is clear. Your brother or sister is more important than you being able to flaunt your freedom in that moment. Don't use your freedom to tear your brother or sister down. Use your freedom to build them up. Sometimes that means because you love them, abstaining from certain things that you might have the freedom in your own conscience to do, but you know that they do not. So the principle is kind of clear. If you have a friend who's struggled with, let's say, a gambling addiction, well, then don't invite him to go out to the casino for a night on the town. If you have a friend that is a recovering alcoholic, don't invite him out for a couple of beers. One of the ways you can tell often an immature believer is by the way that they handle their freedom. If they need to flaunt it constantly to somehow prove to the world how free they are in the gospel, chances are they're actually probably in bondage to some level of insecurity. They probably need to flaunt everything they can, uh, they can do in their freedom because deep down they're still not really sure they should be doing it in the first place. Paul says, no, 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 I love my brother so much that I'd be willing to never eat meat again if it caused their conscience harm. Now, I don't think that means that just because a person doesn't particularly like something we do, that we need to always forever stop doing it. I heard one time of a guy who just felt it was absolutely wrong for men to wear shorts and went around the church telling any men that showed up wearing shorts that they were in sin. Listen, for a little while, you might be able to say, listen, for the sake of my brother here, Harold, or whatever his name is, I'm not going to wear shorts. But at some point, also, knowledge needs to inform Harold. Harold, there's no condemnation against shorts, brother. There just ain't. So, like, we all have to sort of adapt and adjust in our freedom. And, it doesn't, and sometimes people can use this stumbling block issue as a way to be a, a tyrant to others. And so we don't want to do that either. But the principle is still the same. Paul says, I'd rather give it up than cause my brother to stumble. So believer, you are totally free in Christ. The question is, now that you don't have to do anything, what do you want to do? Well, I hope and I pray and I know that this is what the Spirit brings out of our freedom. It turns out he brings out a desire to love and serve our neighbors more. Contrary to those who fear this freedom and what it will unleash, it actually unleashes a desire to care. It actually unleashes a desire to serve. That's what freedom really does. I'll close my time here with a little illustration about the company Netflix, which I have actually seen sort of from the inside a little bit. You know, I've got friends that work at Google and Netflix, and so I've seen kind of what goes on there, but... Um, I don't know if you know this, but Netflix uh, for years has had no official vacation policy. They let their employees take as much time off as they want, whenever they want, as long as the job is getting done. Netflix's uh, vice president of corporate communications explained the policies. He said, quote, rules and policies and regulations and stipulations are innovation killers. People do their best work when they're unencumbered. If you're spending a lot of time accounting for the time you're spending, it's time you're not innovating. Now, 
What would you think would be the result of telling all these employees that they are free to take off on vacation anytime they want? Of course, mass laziness, sloth to the end degree, constant struggles with people not wanting to do their job, right? Incorrect. Quote, their policy or lack thereof has not resulted in the companies going out of business. We all know that very well after the last seven months of binging on that product. But no, in fact, just the opposite. Freed from micromanaging bosses, their employees work even harder. So then, Christian, you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. Now that you once again are reminded that Jesus has done it all for you, the question is, what do you want to do? Well, I hope it manifests itself, and I know it will, in love for your neighbor and a willingness to work with them, to not be a stumbling block to them for their good. All right, gang, that's it. We're done. We did it. We got through 1 Corinthians 8. Hope you have a great Friday.